You know, that's a really interesting interview, Brian. Uh, it certainly occurs to me that in the same way that we have political gerrymandering, in which basically people are talking to people just like themselves all the time, and in some ways social media encourages that, it almost as if we have cultural gerrymandering. I mean, when's the last time you heard anything on a major league talk show uh, that suggested anything other than urban the whole thing feels like an inside joke that if you're a rural person, you're sometimes the butt of the joke. So I guess it seems to me that their gerrymandering principle of like being bounded off from like seems to be spreading across the country, and urban-rural divides one more example of it. Ed, that's a terrific phrase, cultural gerrymandering. But I want to push back a little bit because, first of all, gerrymandering, of course, is a political term, and it means that the parties are intentionally drawing district lines to advantage them in partisan terms. I think in the last 20 or 30 years, what's really changed about political gerrymandering is it's become a lot easier because Americans more and more are choosing to live with ideologically like-minded people. And this is a real change that's been documented by social scientists. To turn to cultural gerrymandering, I think the same phenomenon is going on. I I live in a farming area, rural area, and people are self-selecting, choosing churches, choosing the kind of Christian music stations that they listen to. And this is not being imposed upon them. I get the FarmersOnly.com commercials. I haven't subscribed because I'm happily married. (laughs) But I, I understand that I'm targeted by Madison Avenue because I live out in the country. But that targeting is responding to real cultural preferences on the part of rural people and in turn on the part of urban people. Well, I I don't know how much you can talk about it in terms of preferences separate from these structures of, you know, space and of community. I mean, so much of what made rural, rural and urban, urban was this massive amount of space between communities, right? These crossing of the miles. And those miles weren't accidents, right? You had redlining, you had the distribution of land through homesteading that was certainly done on, you know, a racially asymmetrical basis. You know, so even the divides that we take to be kind of of nature are largely man-made. And I think the same is true of these kind of you know social divides. You know, our communities are still kind of pre-selected in terms of our buying practices, our educational preferences, um, you know, our cultural practices, you know, in these larger clusters. Yeah, Brian, Nathan, it strikes me that what we're seeing here is a mutually reinforcing system in which politicians are dividing things up that suit their purposes uh, under the guise of suiting the purposes of their constituents. Markets are dividing things up saying, we're giving you exactly what you want, which conveniently also makes it easier for us to find you with exactly the kind (laughs) of advertising that we want to find. So you have this situation where it feels like, okay, now finally I find something that tells me exactly what I want to hear about myself. But the thing is that there are people benefiting from that, whether it's a, a church congregation that no longer has to really worry about representing a broader point of view, or it's an XM radio station that doesn't really have to worry about diversity on its playlist. So I'm afraid that this just plays to too many people's advantage to really go away too easily. So, Ed or or Nathan, might there be something even more sinister here? Uh, That's the possibility that should rural people and urban people come together 
around something they share in common. That's the divide in income between the 1% and the rest of the nation, for instance. Should they do that, uh, they might challenge a number of these established institutions that you've been talking about, whether it's the political party structure or marketers. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that I think really is a kind of common predicament for, you know, people who live in rural or urban America is is this sense of aggrievement, right? I mean, rural people feel, you know, that they're being ignored by the sophisticants in yes. D.C. or New York. You have people who are living in, you know, downwardly mobile suburbs or in urban areas that are impoverished who certainly feel like, you know, the government is not on their side. Um, and that sense of marginalization, you know, does a lot to keep people feeling isolated. It certainly, you know, creates a kind of us versus them approach even within the country itself. And I think, you know, it's sad to say that even if there aren't kind of smoke-filled rooms with people twirling their mustaches, Right. That there are a number of, you know, companies and political interests and, you know, lobbying groups that benefit profoundly from, you know, poor or even middle class Americans being divided along this division of urban and rural. 